We are. We're going to be reading Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And my special friend Emily is going to help me read that this morning. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Must I watch all this misery? Whenever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down and devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, we come now to your word, your holy word, and you tell us to tremble at it. It is you speaking to us about who you are and what you will do. And so, Father, would you please uh, create in us hearts that will not just hear, but will do. Thank you that you're a God that meets with us. Thank you that you're a God that longs to speak to us of your love and your grace and your mercy. And so, Father, we just hallow this time now and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Good to worship this morning, and uh, it's good these days, is it not? You, I saw many of you in classes again this morning. Thank you for coming and being part of our discipleship hour, and then together in worship to be as a body. What a great thing. In fact, this is why we're trying this out. It's because we want to build unity and be together. We've been split apart in all kinds of ways through the pandemic, and now we get to be together, and it is really a, a good thing. And we also want to deliberately go deeper into discipleship. Put us in groups where we can actually work on our faith and our walk with God personally. We call it real life transformation, real life multiplication. And we want to bring families together in worship. That our kids can watch us as adults worship. Do you know that will last with them? That will build an impression in their hearts and their souls that will stick with them? Do you realize that some people think about 70% of our kids when they get to college are leaving the faith? 
And one of the ways that they hold is by being with us in worship and seeing with us so that when they go off to college, they're used to gathering as God's family as a whole. This is a long view of how to keep our kids and make disciples. And so we're just going to try this, all right? So hang in there with us. We're going to try this through December. And we want your feedback. I mean, I know there's some growing pains with all of this, and there's some struggles and battles that go on. I know in families trying to figure out how to do this. But you work with us through December and give us your feedback, and we're going to do our best to honor God by making uh, disciples. Now, as Pastor Jared said, we are in the book of Habakkuk this morning. It's a little book on page 1461. If you have my Bible, you can find it probably in the index in the Bible in front of you under the chair or on your app under Habakkuk. That would be a really good place to find it. So we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 this morning. And this book is broken up into three parts, naturally. Um, first of all, it is Habakkuk's first complaint and God's answer. Next week, Pastor Jared will look at Habakkuk's second complaint and God's answer. And then in chapter 3, a prayer from uh, this prophet. So this morning, we're going to look at Habakkuk's complaint, then God's answer, And then our response. Let's listen again to the complaint that we read earlier. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now Habakkuk is writing to the nation of Judah. If you're familiar with Israel history, history of the Hebrew people, you will remember that there is a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And in this time of history, about 600 A.D., the northern kingdom, because of its rebellion against God and his principles, has been taken into exile into Assyria. And the southern kingdom, which still exists, called Judah, was collapsing from corruption within. And so Habakkuk is lamenting what was going on. And he's writing during the corrupt reign of King Jehoiakim, And King Jehoiakim was a king who killed innocent people and abused the poor and silenced God's people, killing prophets and famously burning Jeremiah's scrolls that he had carefully written. This was not a good man. He embraced and promoted evil leadership in government and led with an evil hand. And so what we have here is Habakkuk lamenting this. And he says in verse 1 that this question he's asking what is going on he says this question comes from God it's an oracle from God have you ever been in a place where you wanted somebody to ask you a question because you were ready with the answer that's what's going on here God is like going very good I wanted you to ask this question because I have an answer ready for you and he's inviting us into a relationship God wants us to come and interact with him And so Habakkuk's complaint was this. You see evil, God, and are silent. Why do you tolerate this? Why do you seem to sit idly by when all this evil is going on? Maybe you hear it in our culture today. Where is God in all this? If if there is a God that's overseeing all of this, I'm not in. Right? We hear this from people all the time. 
Where are you, God? And the problems in this text were violence and sin and the misery that resulted from it, strife and contention, division amongst people within the country, justice perverted, the law is paralyzed, it says, so that evil is declared good and good is declared evil. Do these sound familiar? And the wicked surround the righteous. Those are the words of these first few verses. And this is really very similar to the situation in America today. I think we can relate to these five things. I, I lament myself um, the, the decline of the city that I grew up in, in Seattle, where it used to be a joy to walk in that city, all over that city. And now today you have to be afraid when you walk through that downtown area. It's, it's kind of a crazy thing. And in fact, I kind of think... You know, I think of it this way to sort of bring some relief to my soul. Like these, I think these West Coast mayors, like San Diego, L.A., San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, they kind of get together and kind of say, how can we do this leadership in the most crazy way possible and kind of try to outdo each other? I really do. And, and uh, you know, I thought during the pandemic, well, Seattle's going to win the prize this year. We got the Chaz and the Chop District, you know, up there in Seattle and people taking over and crazy stuff happening. And as a Seattle guy, you know, we always kind of look down on the people in Portland because they were like the little tiny sisters or brothers that you never really let at the adult table, you know. And, and so we go to Portland kind of for quiet and peace. But doggone, I think Portland, Portland takes the crazy trophy during the pandemic. They have risen up and won, you know. And it has been crazy. In fact, I saw the most recent graffiti. If you go to Portland, kids live in the Portland area. And the most recent graffiti I saw in downtown was, it says, abolish the schools, written across the school vans. Like, now there's an idea for you. Like, this is a crazy place. And this is what is happening in America. I mean, this is for serious. And really, truthfully, it just breaks our heart, doesn't it? To see violence and sin and contention and division taking over in our cities. And, and so Habakkuk laments, is there any hope? God, do you care? And we should be interested in God's answer. And so God gives an answer, and we find it in verse 5 and following. Here's God's answer. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. God says, I'm doing something. And I'm doing something right now. Jesus said, my father, he's always at work and so am I. And God is doing something. It wasn't this day and he is in our day. But it's shocking, right? Look what happens. Verse 6, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, that bitter and nasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Verse 9, they all come for violence, all their faces forward, and they gather captives like sand. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring my discipline upon my people by bringing a pagan nation, the Babylonians, to chasten them and to take them into captivity. God says, I'm going to deal with this, and here's how I'm going to do it. 
I'm bringing the Chaldeans, these nasty folk who will be merciless as they march through your land. Now that's shocking. We'll be talking about this a lot more next week, actually. But what do we make of this? What do we do with this? God says, I am doing something, and here's what I'm doing. I'm bringing these evil people. So let's, let's, let's highlight a couple things. First of all, God will, God will deal with sin, and he will deal with injustice, and he will call to account all things that are wrong, violence, mistreatment of the poor, and the list is long. But sometimes we have to wait a while, don't we? Sometimes he doesn't get things straightened out fast. Now, we, we really want it to be done fast. When people are doing evil to us, we go, God, come on, get them fast, like right now. Like this would be a good day, right? <laughs> but when it's for us, we want them to be patient. Like just take some, like I know, God, I've got to get this area cleaned up in my life, but I need you to just be a little patient with God is saying to Habakkuk, I will deal with this in my time. You know, and he is patient. Our God is patient. And he doesn't move quickly most of the time. But he does move suddenly. And there's a difference, right? Remember the days of Noah that had gone on for generations of people becoming more and more corrupt? The Bible says that every intention of their heart was evil continually, and it went on for a long time. And then suddenly, here comes God's judgment, the flood, when they least expected of it. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 24 that that will be like the return of Christ. People will be going on apart their lives just like in the days of Noah, marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking, going to work, having time with family. Seeming as if nothing is ever going to change. And then suddenly the return of Christ. And so we should always be ready. So God's answers, they come in his time. But oftentimes, suddenly when we least expect it. And this can be a very hopeful thing actually. We, we had a season in our life where one of our kids was having a bad patch of life, and uh, it was rough, and uh, he was angry, and, and he was difficult. In fact, we were homeschooling in those days, and, and uh, so Mary was at home with our children, and I was the principal in my office at church, right? <laughs> and I was getting a lot of calls, like, come home, we need the principal. I, mean, <laughs> I was getting tired of coming home in the middle of my day, you know, and... Um, and then one summer, uh, during this time period, our kids were, were, this child was about 14, we went to Seattle, and um, he went to a, a worldview conference, a Christian worldview conference. And he was there for a whole week. And we were just glad to have him over there for a week. And, uh, <laughs> and when we got done and came to pick him up, we walked into the room full of hundreds of teenagers. And they all stood up and applauded us as parents. And our son was looking at us in the eye and applauding. And I'm going, who are you? <laughs> and what did you do with our son? And his life was changed. I mean, not perfectly, but dramatically 
changed. And this is God. Like we had prayed fervently for this kid. Like, come on, God, shake him up. Right? It had been a couple years. And then suddenly, when we least expected it, God came through. And that's how God is. We can be sure, right? We can be sure God sees us. He hears us. We should be praying. But he will answer in his time. Now, in the case of Habakkuk, it was shocking. He used even evil people to accomplish his purposes. Wicked nation Babylon brings correction and judgment to his people. Now, that doesn't mean we see evil as good, right? We shouldn't see evil as good. But we should see that God does use both good and evil. And when he uses evil, and we'll see this next week, he calls them to account, right? He uses them, and then he says, you're guilty for the way you are living. Listen to verse 11. He goes, then they will sweep by the wind, and they will go on right over you. They are guilty men whose own might is their God. (laughs) Isn't that unbelievable? This is God. And he's saying, I use both good and evil. And it speaks to us of his sovereignty over all things. He works all things out according to his purpose of his will, it says in Ephesians 1.11. And he will accomplish his purposes through both good and evil. Nothing gets around him. Nothing that comes into your life, good and evil, doesn't first pass through his hand and his permission. We see this with Job when he said, shall I accept good from God and not evil? And we see this, I think, most profoundly in the cross when the most evil and hideous act of all history was perpetrated against Jesus and God used it for good. To all of us who are sitting in this room and are offered salvation, he can use the most evil deed for our good. And we see that here even in this text. Now, what is our response to all of this? Let me say three things. First of all, taking Habakkuk's example, let's build an intimate relationship with God. In the middle of a broken, fallen, increasingly evil world, let's walk closely with God. Let those things that are frustrating and painful things that are uncertain and confusing, let them draw you to God. I I don't know how many mornings I wake up, it's not uncommon, I wake up very unsettled, knowing what I'm going to face in a day, knowing the world that I'm going to encounter, knowing that I'm standing for Jesus in a world that hates him. I wake up unsettled. And I sit with God until my soul is settled. And I hear from him, and I hear of his love and his grace and his mercy and his help. And after I've spent some time with God, I'm ready to go. Let's let these hard times draw us to him. Questioning and wondering and severe pain in our lives is a normal part of walking with God. This is a hard world to be a Christian. It's part of our relationship with him. Even Jesus himself, as he's hanging on a cross, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's an honest cry. We see it in Psalm 22.1. Whatever the psalmist was going through, it looked like Jesus. And hear this. 
You can know God. You can do this. You can know the creator of the world. You can know his love. You can know his strength and his mercy. You can know his help to get through whatever you're facing. It's there for you. You just got to give it a shot. Work at it. It's worth it. It's the greatest thing in all of life. And often it's these trials that cause us to pursue him. So build an intimate relationship with God. Go after him. There's a reward for that. But then learn to trust his character, his good character. You know, we're going to see this as we work through Habakkuk, that in the end, he goes, everything can fall apart in my life. Everything can fall apart in the world. But I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. God is good. And he is for you if you are his child. God is relentlessly committed to your growth and well-being and health and spiritual growth. And he's always working to bring about salvation in your life and healing and sanctification. And all the difficulties and trials, in this case even exile, are meant to draw us back into a relationship with him. And listen to this, brothers and sisters. Even the evil in your life is meant by God to draw you into a deeper relationship with him. Do you believe that? Can you believe that? Right? We so often just want to make it all a random event. God would never oversee that. That's too hideous. Well, the cross was hideous. And he was overseeing it. It was his plan. Even both the good and the evil in your life, God is using to draw you back into a relationship in a more intimate walk with him. I think there's really two experiences as we go through all of life. One is the deep hurt and the suffering and the grieving that goes with the hard things that come at us. And we must do that well. We must be honest about the pain in our souls and talk to one another and find encouragement and love and prayer for one another. But also then, in addition to that, God says, I am with you. I am for you. And there's hope in him that he is doing something good. God is doing something, it says in Habakkuk. Even through the hardest thing you're facing today, God is doing something that is good for you. Our neighbors near us <clears throat> uh, were recently... Um, fussing with us, I'll say it kindly, <laughs> because there were trees in their yard that were growing over our fence and getting tangled up with our wires going to our house, and we didn't like it, right? So I did the noble thing and sent my wife out there to talk to them, and so, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I joined her later, and then... <laughs> And then, but they said, no, these trees are fine. We're not going to change them. They're good. Like, everything's fine. They're not hurting anything. Yeah, they are. We need them changed. And so we've been in this kind of several week kind of fight with our neighbors. Well, finally, we said, we're going to call somebody to get this fixed. And then they kind of came to the table, you know. And so we actually started to talk about this and came to a solution together, even through all this fighting. And the other day, we finally got this, these things trimmed back, and I went over to say thanks to them, walked around the backside of their house, 
He goes, hey, Kevin, come on in. Let's have a beer together. So I did. <laughs> About three a year for me. <laughs> but through a hard thing and a hard time, something I didn't want to be a part of, something that was creating a lot of tension, God used to bring about something really good. And we've got this, like, kind of cool friendship going again now. Like, it's, like, pretty awesome. Like, we're buds again. But this is what God does. He takes even the hard things because he is working something good to reach people. Now, <clears throat> I want to close with this thought this morning. There's one place in the New Testament, and this is significant. And I hadn't seen this before, actually. But there's one place in the New Testament where the words out of Habakkuk chapter 1 are grabbed by the New Testament writer and put into the text. And it's Acts chapter 13, verses 37 to 41. And it's, it's astounding to me. In this text, he grabs verse 5 from the verses we're reading today. He says, I'm going to do a work. Reading now out of Acts, in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Something so astounding, you wouldn't even believe it, because how good it really is. And you know what Paul, or Luke in this case, is writing about Paul? He's writing about the gospel. He's talking about Jesus and forgiveness found in him. And the freedom that's found in Christ. I'm going to do something so good that you won't even believe it. That Jesus is the one who came, it says in verse 37, and he died and he rose again. He did not see corruption. He rose from the dead. He was the one that took the assault that we deserved. The Babylonian assault that you see in Habakkuk 1.5 for God's people that they deserved and needed for their correction, this text is saying Jesus took that assault for us. We were the ones that deserved to die. We were the ones that deserved to be trampled by the enemy. And Jesus stood in our place and was nailed to a cross on our behalf. So that, it says, we can receive forgiveness in his name. See, as much as we want to look at others and say, you know, if you just change the way you act toward me, my life would be good. And these problems that I'm having really are because you're acting this way. The Bible reminds us that our biggest problem is not everybody else. Our biggest problem is ourselves, right? Jared and I were talking about this. When we parent our kids... The biggest threat to our kids is not the world outside that is against our principles. It's what's in their heart. <laughs> that broken, sinful, rebellious nature in every one of us. That's our biggest problem. And Jesus came and he died on a cross so that we can be forgiven and washed clean of our sins. And Psalm 130 verse 4 says this, With you is forgiveness of sins, therefore you should, you are to be feared. And this is the astounding thing, that though we deserved the Babylonian invasion over our own lives, 
Jesus took it for us so that we are forgiven. That's the power of the cross. But it's more than that. Not only are we forgiven, but we can then be certain that we are both loved and accepted. That Jesus died for us and he was glad to, to bring us into a relationship with God where now we are called children of God. And that gives us security. You know, so (laughs) we operate out of this great insecurity in our lives and it makes us very selfish to have to protect everything we have. But if we are God's child, we're safe, we're secure, we're protected. He is for us. Romans 8.32 said, if God didn't spare his son, won't he also along with him give us every single thing? God is now for us and we don't have to fear. And he says that when we believe in Jesus and trust in him and give our life to him, we are given eternal life. And that means not only life that's forever, but eternal life is a quality of life now. That we are now empowered to live good, healthy, blessed ways. The the sin nature that enslaved us and held us has been cut loose by the power of the cross. We are a new creation and we are free to say no to that stupid stuff that holds us through faith in Jesus. And so we are forgiven and we are free, it says in this Acts 13 text. And we have an eternal life with God forever and ever. Now here's the crazy thing, and this is the part that's hard to believe. That all of this comes to us simply by grace through faith and nothing else. Nothing else, right? Nothing else. Forgiven, cleansed, washed away, made a child of God, given the power to say no to sin, to walk in his blessing. God is for you. That all comes by grace through faith alone. And if that sounds too good to be true, now you've got it. That's why he says, like, this is too good to believe. I'm doing something this day that's too good to believe. And it's this gospel message that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have all of that. Band, you can come on up. So the question then is, will you trust Jesus with your life? Will you give him your life? Will you receive it by faith? Will you say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Take control. Make me your child. And let me walk in your blessing. And we see in this text this morning that Habakkuk calls out to God in faith and trust. He's troubled. He senses violence around him mistreatment, division in the nation. And he calls out to God in faith and in trust. That's what God wants us to do with our, with our battles, with our struggles, with our trials, to call out to him. And God's answer is, I am doing something. I'm acting on your behalf. I am for you. I am with you. I sent my son to die for you. Therefore, I will give you every good thing. Will you believe him? Will you trust him? You know what Habakkuk does? We'll see this next week. He goes up on the top of his watchtower. And he goes, I'm going to watch and wait for God to act on my behalf. (laughs) Isn't that the greatest thing? 
I believe in God. I trust him at such a level that I'm going to call out to him, and then I'm getting up on the top of this tower, and I'm going to watch him come and answer for me now in this day. Do we have that kind of faith? Are we trusting in that way? When I was graduating from high school, many years ago, I'm not going to share the year, my pastor gave me a little book. I don't even remember what the book was. can't tell you what it was. But he wrote in the open cover, and I remember to this day, and I've carried this verse in my heart all my life. Jeremiah 33.3 says this, call to me and I will answer you and show you great things you do not know. That's what he wants us to do today. Like Habakkuk, call out to him. In the middle of the broken places you find yourself, in the hard places, in the things that are frustrating you, the things that are giving you uncertainty, the things that are causing fear and anxiety, call out to him. And I will show you great things that you do not know. Let's be people of faith. So as we wrap up this morning, this is our chance now to pray together. It's an important part of what we do here at Risen Life. That we hear from one another what we're going through and we pray for one another. And so I'm just going to ask you, like we often do here, if you are in a place where you are burdened or you're going through a trial or a struggle, or you've got uncertainty in your life and you just want this family to pray for you, to go ahead and stand. God says, I give grace to the humble, but I resist the proud. I know a lot of you need to stand this morning. Don't be shy, right? And as these people stand and say, I need you to pray for me, can we do this? Like, right? They, they had the courage to stand. Why not just look around and see who it is? Even if you don't know their name, have that person in your mind this weekend. Let's pray for one another. And maybe now, even as we sing this song, you might go and, and pray for them even during this psalm this morning. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song. And we're going to trust God to do things way beyond what we could ever ask or think. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these friends who have stood. Thank you for what you're doing among us. I pray that you will bless them. I pray you'll answer their prayers. God, give them grace to wait when they need to. But God, could you suddenly come and be upon them and bring healing and help. Grace to their wounds, their broken places, the struggle that they're having. God, powerfully move upon them, God. And let us be a people who stand with them this week. And, Father, we are thankful that, God, we can get up on the watchtower now. We can watch because you are doing something. You are at work, God. We are thankful. This is you being good to us. You give us trials so we turn to you, God. Now show yourself strong. You are doing something. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.